All right, we are on chapter 24, chapter 24, on civil government, and we did the first paragraph, which was really just, we looked at Romans 13 and did an exposition of chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, which is one of the clearest explanations in the Bible of the way that Christians should view and relate to the civil authorities, and then chapter 2 and 3 expand upon that and so we'll, we'll do the next two paragraphs today. But let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll begin our study. Father, we thank you for our time to be together today. And Lord, we do pray that now as we open your word again, Lord, that you would teach us, and that, Lord, you would instruct us uh, in how it is that we should think about, Lord, how we should relate and be in submission, Lord, to everything that is lawful and good uh, that is commanded by the authorities uh, in the land, even though... Lord, in many times, in many cases, we know that the authorities are not uh, men and women of God. Lord, they're many times not even Christian. Yet, Lord, you have appointed them uh, for our good, Lord, for the good of the civil order. Lord, that there might not be chaos and anarchy in the land. Lord, we do pray that you would grant to us rulers, Lord, who are righteous, Lord, who are godly people, who fear you, and Lord, who might establish laws and policies in our own country that are beneficial and favorable toward the Christian church and toward Christian families and homes. Lord, even if they're not believers, we pray that they would at least have enough civility, Lord, enough common knowledge and grace from you to establish laws that are good and decent, Lord, for our benefit, Lord, for our sake. Lord, this is what we desire, is to be able to live a quiet and a peaceful life and to raise our families in the fear of the Lord without interference from the government and without interference from uh, criminals and and thugs, uh, Lord, who might want to hinder us from doing those things. So, Lord, help us and, Lord, to think correctly about these things. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, chapter 24, and we are on paragraph number 2. Paragraph number 2, and the first paragraph did lay out and teach Uh, that God is the ultimate king over this world, and he is the one who has ordained civil authorities to be the rulers over this present world in terms of enacting laws in society that bring about some level of justice and righteousness in the land, right? Without government, there would be no order. No, It would be complete chaos, anarchy. Everyone would do what is right in their own eyes. There'd be no property. There'd be no uh, sacredness of life. Everything would be miserable, right? Even, even with corrupt government, they still provide some level of help in order for us to live in this present world. So uh, it laid out the legitimacy, the legitimacy of government as ordained by God, and then what it is that we ought to expect from our ruling authorities, namely that they would institute laws and policies in the land that are consistent with the justice and righteousness found in the word of God, right? This is what God expects of them, and this is what he's going to hold them accountable to, whether they're believers or not, right? They have their position from God, and they must exercise that position according to the will of God and enact those laws and policies that promote justice, righteousness in the land, punishing evildoers, right, with the sword, and then rewarding those who do good. This is what the government should be doing, putting forward citizens that do good, that are obeying the law, that are doing what is pleasing in the sight of God, and then punishing 
even to the point of execution, those who do what is evil in the sight of God and cutting them off from society so that they're not harassing the rest of us and keeping us from living a quiet, peaceful life. Okay, paragraph two picks up, then can the Christian be involved in the government, right? Can we hold positions? Uh, can we serve in these capacities within the governments of the land? And it says, Christians may lawfully accept and carry out the duties of public office when called to do so. In performing their office, they must especially maintain justice and peace according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom and other political entity. To carry out these duties, they are authorized now under the New Testament to wage war in just and necessary situations. Here, the confession teaches that it is acceptable, it is lawful for Christians to accept and carry out duties of public office when called to do so. There's nothing in the Bible that would prohibit a Christian from serving as a judge, from serving as a police officer, from serving as a king, as a president, as a senator, as a representative, right? Not only does the Bible not prohibit that, this would be what is good and right. This would be what is best for society. Wouldn't it be better to have a true Christian as the president than to have an atheist, a Muslim, right? Uh, someone who is godless and evil like we have right now? Wouldn't it be better to go before a judge who is a Christian, who has his mind set on the Bible, who understands justice and righteousness according to the word of God? Isn't he going to be able to better enact justice in the land than some judge, right, who is godless, who has no understanding of right and wrong, but who actually thinks good is evil and evil is good, right? Which one would we rather go to? Right, which one is going to promote and give a better ruling and a better hearing in the land that is favorable toward the Christian church? Well, it's going to be the believer. But if the believers, if the Christians say, oh, we're not going to get involved in politics, we're not going to get involved in government because it's all dirty business, we're just going to go sit in our homes, dig a hole, live in a hole, live in a cave, and we're not going to have any idea of what's going on in the world, in society, then how is it going to help anyone? It's not going to at all. It's actually going to hurt. And this is what we shouldn't do. So if a Christian is able, if they are called to serve, then they should serve. And they should do it with a clean conscience before God. They can hold duties of public office. And then when they hold those duties, they should maintain justice and peace according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom or other political entity. When the Christian is appointed to that position, whatever position it is, whatever authority he has, he should execute that by maintaining true justice and true peace according to, they say, the wholesome laws of each kingdom. But for it to be a wholesome law, it has to be according to what? It has to be according to the Bible, right? It has to be according to the Bible. How can we understand justice, righteousness, good, evil, right? How can we understand what crimes are worthy of death and what crimes are not worthy of death? We have to have some standard by which to go to, and that standard is the Word of God. So the best judge, the best police officer, the best president, the best senator, the best representative, the best mayor, whatever it is, is always going to be a Christian who has their mind set on the Word of God. And they are going to be a benefit to their families, to society, to everyone. Second Samuel chapter 23. 
2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1. It says, Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of a man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So when one rules justly over men, and how do we define justice? Ruling in the fear of God. That's faith in the word of God, believing the word of God, defining justice, righteousness, good, evil, according to the word of God. When a person rules in that way, then he dawns on the citizens, right? On the people of the kingdom, like the morning light, right? He's like the sun rising in the morning, shining upon them, shining upon the land and causing the land to sprout green grass, which is good. It's good for everyone. Well, this is what it's like when you have a ruler who is righteous and who knows and understands what is good and right. Another passage, Genesis chapter 18. When I say righteousness and justice, we have to define that according to the word of God. According to the word of God. We read this passage this morning, but we'll read it again and we'll make a point concerning this. Genesis 18, 16. This is when the Lord and the two angels visited Abraham before they went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and then God rained down fire from the Lord. Now I take this, the Lord here to be the Lord, Je- the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, before his incarnation, appeared to Abraham with two angels, then the Lord speaking with Abraham, and then the angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to see the evil there, and then they bring the judgment upon it. The Lord Jesus Christ does. But here in verse 16, it says, The men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Here, The Lord is saying, should I reveal to Abraham what I'm about to do? Shall I disclose to him and tell him what is on my heart and what is on my mind? And he decides, yes, I'm going to reveal this to Abraham. And why is it necessary for Abraham to know what the Lord is about to do? Well, he has to instruct his household in righteousness and justice. So he needs to know what is righteousness and what is justice. He needs to know the difference between good and evil and what is the justice that is deserving upon those who do wicked things. 
And so God says, I'm going to tell him what I'm about to do. And then what is God about to do? He's going to rain down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to execute the people of these cities because of their sin and wickedness. And this execution then will be an example to teach Abraham what is justice, what is righteousness, so that he can then instruct his children and his household in the ways of the Lord. So justice and righteousness here is seen in the execution of the ungodly. Well, don't we all need to know justice and righteousness in our day? Well, we will know this when criminals who deserve to be put to death are put to death. This is why there's no justice, very little justice, and very little understanding of good and evil and righteousness in our own day because it's not happening, right? It's not happening today. It's very rare that a criminal is actually executed by the governing authorities. Though God has given them this right and he expects this of them, they are very rarely executing their authority and their duty upon those who commit crimes. And the result is it leads to more crime. It leads to more evil in the land because the criminals don't fear the authority, the power of the sword because they know the government's not going to use it. If you just give them a slap on the wrist, then what are they going to do? They're going to keep doing it. It's like with your children, right? If you say, oh, don't, don't get that cookie, and they go and they get it, and then there's no punishment, what are they going to do next time? They'll get two or three of them, right? They'll just keep going back as much as they want because they know you're not going to do anything about it. And this is what happens. So we need righteous rulers who, knew, who do understand justice and righteousness. But you can't understand justice and righteousness apart from the Bible. So how is there going to be good civil order if all the Christians refuse to serve in public office, if they refuse to get involved in society and what's going on. It's not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen one bit. And all the evil that is taking place in America today happened under the nose of the church. Where are the churches at, right, when all this stuff was happening? Who was speaking out against this? Who was getting involved in taking part in these things? Very, very few people. Right? Everyone's just trying to have a good time. And we can't, we can't be like that. We can't live in that way. Psalm 82. Psalm 82. Psalm 82, verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So here, God is taking his place in the council and in the midst of the gods meaning in the midst of those who among men are like gods, in that they are the rulers. They are the rulers. God is holding judgment against them. He's holding them accountable and saying to them, how long will you judge unjustly? Right? You have this position from me. I have given you this authority, but you're not using your authority to judge men justly 
Instead, you're showing partiality to the wicked. You're punishing the good, and you're showing partiality to the wicked. So God is holding them accountable and telling them, quit doing these things, but instead, give true justice to those who deserve it, and give punishment to those who deserve to be punished. So, this is what Christians who serve in public office, who serve in the government, this is what they should be doing in whatever capacity that they are there in any kingdom or any other political entity, whether that be a kingdom, an empire, a republic, a commonwealth, a state, a city, right? whatever realm that one finds themselves in, and they're serving that way and they're a Christian, they should use the Bible, they should inform their mind with the word of God so that they can execute their office according to the word of God and according to the wholesome, righteous laws found in the Bible. Next, to carry out these duties, they are authorized now, under the New Testament age, to wage war in just and necessary situations. People might say, well, we shouldn't take life, right? We shouldn't take people's lives, and a Christian can't serve in the military. They can't serve in the government because we're supposed to love, we're supposed to love people. And we're supposed to turn the other cheek. Isn't that what Jesus said? Turn the other cheek so we can't do those things. We are to turn the other cheek in terms of personal retaliation. If someone wrongs you, then you turn the other cheek if you can't get justice. But the government is not supposed to turn the other cheek. That's not the duty of government to turn the other cheek. What is the duty of government? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. That is the government's duty, is to give justice. If somebody puts out your eye, then they should receive a just retribution. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. And if a Christian is serving in the government, and it comes to that level where they have to execute justice upon the wicked, then yes, they are authorized and can, with a completely clean conscience, take the life of a guilty person if they are worthy of death whether that be the life of a criminal, like a murderer, or whether that be as a soldier serving in the military, protecting the country from foreign invaders, right? These are the two groups of people we need to be protected from. Criminals from within and invaders from without. And if we're going to protect the society from criminals from within and invaders from without, you have to have swords in your hand and you have to put people to death if necessary. And even in the New Testament, we can do that. We can do that. We can serve with a clean conscience, and we should have no qualms about it, but rather we should be zealous to do those things just as Phineas was zealous to execute those who deserved it. Luke chapter 3, verse 14. Luke 3, 14. Here, these, this is when the crowds come to John the Baptist asking him what they should do in order to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. One of the groups that comes to him are soldiers. Soldiers. And what does he say to the soldiers? Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your, with your wages. So he doesn't say, quit being a soldier. This is an evil duty. This is an evil job. How can you be a Christian and serve in the military? 
And we're not even talking about the Israelite military. We're talking about the Roman military, a foreign power. He doesn't tell them, quit being in the military. What does he say? Do your duty, but don't extort people. Don't use your position, your authority, your power to extort money from people. Be content with the wages that you are paid and then do your duty as necessary. And as a soldier, doesn't the soldier at times have to take life? If there's war, they have to take life. And they can do that with a clean conscience as a Christian. And we can do that today, if necessary. If necessary, and there is a necessary war. Not these frivolous wars that our government likes to do. Right? We shouldn't go fight in those wars, and they shouldn't send people over there to die needlessly in Ukraine or Afghanistan or Iraq in these kinds of wars that are futile, where they go and they spill all this blood, and well, what's the point of it? What, what are we even doing in these places? But if there is a legitimate threat right, to our country, like in World War II when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and they declared war upon us, well, we had to defend ourselves against this foreign adversary and as a Christian and as an American, they could go with a clean conscience, fight against them, even kill the enemy, and they're not sinning against God. But they're actually doing what is pleasing to God when they're waging war in a just way, right? Not provoking it, but whenever it's necessary, then it is necessary. And we have examples of righteous men in the Bible who served in high post within foreign governments. Joseph. Joseph was second in command. He was a ruler in Egypt, only under Pharaoh, and God did not rebuke him for serving in that position, but God is the one who gave it to him, and he executed it faithfully. Mordecai also was a very high-ranking official in the kingdom of Ahasuerus. Nehemiah was a high-ranking official in the Persian kingdom. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of them were officials in first the Babylonian kingdom, and then later in the Persian kingdom, and they all served in those various capacities. So we can do that as well, and we should do that. Now, two things to be said, two dangers. The first one we've touched on, which is passivism. Passivism are those who say, all government is evil, no Christian should serve in the government. No Christian should be a police officer. No Christian should serve in the military. All of it is evil, is dirty. It all has to do with this present world, and we're supposed to be focused on the world to come, and so no Christian should have any part in those types of things. Right? We should reject and avoid that. We should not have this mentality of putting our head in the sand, not knowing what's going on in the world. We need to know what's taking place in our own country, in the world. We need to be informed about those things so that we can be prepared, that we can have the right mind concerning it, and then we can do whatever we can in order to rectify those situations. So passivism. And there are groups like the Quakers were pacifist. They would say no military, no uh, police, right? no one should ever serve in the government. The Amish, the Mennonites... They withdraw from those types of things, and that's not consistent with the biblical teaching. So we should reject that type of mentality. On the other side, you have those who make the gospel about social activism. Right? So for many people, the gospel is racism. Right? The gospel is uh, redistributing wealth from the rich to the poor. 
Right? It's, it's like a communist version of the gospel, which is no gospel at all. So there are those churches and groups, that's all they want to talk about. Right? It's all about feeding the poor, digging water wells, abolishing abortion, uh, doing this, doing that, overcoming racism, overcoming all the evils of society. And this is what the gospel is for. This is what the church exists for. We should spend all of our money and all of our labor trying to overcome the various evils in society. And they will say that this is justice and righteousness. These are gospel issues. And this is what we should give ourselves to. Right? This is what was happening like in the 60s with Martin Luther King Jr. He was a social activist. Right? The church, for them, was about overcoming oppression, racism, getting rights, dealing with those types of things. Now, again, if there are legitimate evils taking place in society, we should be speaking about those things. So as Christians, it is good for us to preach against abortion to preach against immorality, to preach against adultery, to preach against sodomy. We should be preaching against those things and declaring to the people that this is what the Word of God says, just like John the Baptist did. When Herod had illegally his brother's wife, John the Baptist spoke about those things. But ultimately, the gospel, right, we could fix all of the evils in society and people are still going to die and go to hell because the gospel is ultimately about the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And it's about eternal life with God. And there are many people who get consumed with politics, with society, with activism. That's all they think about. That's all they want. That, you know, and if we can just get enough Christians in enough places, we're going to fix all the ills of the world and we're going to have utopia right here on earth. But that's never going to happen either. So we have to have it in the right perspective. We, should be, we, we do live on this earth. We do live in society. We raise our families here. And so we should be involved to what extent that we can to create a good social order that is conducive to the Christian home, to peace, harmony, you know, those types of things so that we can live a quiet, peaceful life. We should do whatever we can to bring that about. But our hope is not in this present world. Our hope is in the life to come. And ultimately, we need to be teaching people the fear of the Lord. We need to be teaching them to repent of their sins and to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and to put their hope not in this life, but to put their hope in the life to come. Okay, next paragraph. Number three. Because civil authorities are established by God for the purposes stated... We should submit in the Lord to them in everything lawful that they require. We should submit not only for fear of punishment, but also for the sake of conscience. We ought to make requests request and prayers for kings and everyone in authority that under their rule we may live a quiet, peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. So because the civil authorities are established by God for these stated purposes previously mentioned, then the way we should respond to them is we should submit. Submit in the Lord to them in everything lawful that they require. Even if they're an unbeliever, even if they're an idolater, if what they require is lawful according to the word of God, then we should submit to it even though the person himself may be a detestable person. We should do what they command. If they command people not to commit murder, can we submit to that? Yes, even if it's coming from a pagan or an idolater. So whatever lawful they command, we should submit to them. 
Now, if they command something that is unlawful, then we don't submit to them. Is it lawful for them to tell us we can't have church because there's a raging pandemic going on? No, they don't have that authority. So should we submit to that authority? No. Even if they threaten to throw us in jail, and even if they do throw us in jail, we should not submit to that authority because they don't have the right to suspend the Ten Commandments of God or the U.S. Constitution or the Bill of Rights during a raging pandemic. So only in what is lawful, only according to the Word of God, should we submit to them. But when they command that, we should obey them. We should obey them in everything lawful. And we should do this, not only for fear of punishment, but also for the sake of conscience. We don't want to be punished because we committed evil, and also we want to have a clean conscience before God. And if what they've commanded is lawful and we're breaking it, then we're not going to have a clean conscience. Our conscience is going to be guilty and it's going to torment us. Romans 13 Romans 13, Romans 13, verse 5, says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So there, we must be in subjection to them, not only to avoid the wrath of God, because they are an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, but also for the sake of our own conscience. We want a clean conscience before God, and when we obey God, we have a clean conscience. When we obey the laws of the land, that conform to the law of God, we're going to have a clean conscience. And then this is why we also pay taxes. For this reason, not to regulate our toilets and all the other things that they want to do. Okay, next, 1 Peter chapter 2. Do you know they like to regulate our toilets and our showers so that we can't get our hair clean? We can't flush the toilet and nothing will go down. You know, you have to flush it 10 times. That's the government. They're regulating these things. It's ridiculous. They shouldn't be doing any of that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So every human institution, legitimate human institution, instituted by God, we ought to be subject to whether that be the emperor as supreme or as governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This is the same as Romans chapter 13. The emperor is the supreme leader. He's the supreme institution, but then he has underlings, governors, that he sends out to these various regions to do his will. And we ought to submit to both the emperor and to the governors when they are punishing evil in praising those who do good, according to the Bible. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So we ought to honor everyone, again, in its proper context. 
right? We can't honor a thief, right? We can't honor an adulterer. He doesn't mean that. He can't mean that. How can we honor those people? But he means anyone who deserves honor, who is in a position that deserves honor and is an honorable person, then we ought to honor them. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the way that we should be in this life. Now, what is the purpose of what, what should we be praying for and expecting of our ruling authorities? They say, we ought to make requests and prayers for kings and everyone in authority so that under their rule, we may live a quiet, peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So here, he wants prayers, supplications, intercessions, thanksgivings, to be made for all people, but especially for kings and all in high positions. He wants us praying for them, and for what purpose? That we might lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Right? That we might live this way. Not Muslims, not Hindus, not Buddhists. Right? Who's he talking to here? The Christian church. He's talking to Christians what we should desire and pray and expect from the ruling authorities is that they would make laws, policies that are favorable to the Christian church and to the Christian life so that we Christians can live peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified lives without being harassed by evildoers in society and without being harassed by the government. Right? They should not be harassing Christians who are seeking to obey God and do those things pleasing to Him. I don't want them making laws that make it where a Muslim can live a peaceful, quiet, dignified life because they can't live a peaceful, quiet, dignified life. They are to rule for our sake, for our benefit, for the benefit of the church of Jesus Christ. And won't it be good for us to have a peaceful life? Isn't that what we want? We want peace with all men. Right? We want to live at peace with other men. A quiet life. To not be constantly harassed by evildoers, by the government, right? putting these burdens on us, to be able to enjoy the wife of our youth, to be able to enjoy our families, our property, right? to be there with our children and to enjoy raising them up godly and dignified. Isn't it good for us to live a godly, dignified life? Right? That's what we should desire. And when this is happening and the government is favorable toward the Christian church, then we're going to be able to meet freely and openly, right, without fear of persecution. We're going to be able to go out and preach the gospel without fear of persecution. We're going to be able to raise our families in the fear of the Lord without fear of persecution, right? That is better than having the fear that the authorities are going to break in at any moment and drag all of us off to jail, that is better than living in the fear that the authorities are going to break in and take your children away from you and throw you off into prison. Right? We don't want to live like that. We want the peaceful, quiet, dignified, godly life. 
And it's good for us to pray for this. Now, God doesn't always grant it. There are times when the Christian church has not had a peaceful, quiet life. Now, even when it's not peaceful and quiet, we still have to live godly and dignified. Sometimes God grants it. Sometimes he does not. But we should pray that God would give that to us. Isn't that what he's saying here? That's the prayers he wants us to make for those who are in high positions, that they would make laws, policies that benefit us so that we can live the Christian life freely, openly, raise our families, worship our God, serve him without fear of persecution and without fear of people coming and doing evil against us. So that is how we ought to view the government, what we ought to expect of them, and how we ought to pray for them, how we ought to pray for them. And we do have, in our case, a representative republic. So we have representatives. Call them, contact them. We ought to be doing those things. Tell them what we think about these things. How are they going to know what we Christians think about this issue and that issue if we never call them, if we never contact them? It's really easy to find their information. You just Google it, or, or well, I would say duck, duck, go it, but they've gone down the, the tube as well. So you can just search for it. It's very easy to find this information, and then you can contact them in an easy way. And one other thing I'll say, if there is anyone who's interested in being more involved in local uh, politics, local things, there is a, there's a website called precinctstrategy.com, precinctstrategy.com, and I can share that with you as well. And it's just a, a, a way that we on the local level can be more involved in our own party, which, again, the Democrat Party is utterly detestable and worthless. The Republican Party is mostly detestable and worthless, but there is a little bit of good there that we can use. And this strategy is... The, the idea, the goal, is to, at the local level, uh, take over the Republican Party so that the party itself, the platform, the platform is determined at the precinct level, so that the platform of the party is determined by those who are pro-America, pro-conservative, right, pro-Christian values, l- lower taxes. right. That, those are all good things that we should all desire, and there are ways that we can be involved so that we have an influence in determining the position of the party, who gets put up, who gets nominated, what positions get filled, and we ought to take involvement in those kinds of things. And most of these positions at the precinct level are empty. About half of them, no one even occupies because no one's involved in these things. Well, if we get involved in that, then it'll give us a way of letting our voice be known and give us some level of influence so that we can help shape the policies, the laws, what is going on in our own country for our good, for the good of our children, for the good of our churches, and for the good of everyone else as well. Okay, so we'll finish with that. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Well, Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the goodness that you've given, Lord, your wisdom that is seen in this present world. Lord, even in how you have established and ordained, Lord, every human institution, Lord, you are the one who created government. Lord, you are the one who gave it authority. Lord, you are the definer of it. Lord, you are the one who raises men up into these positions. Lord, that they might execute your will on the earth by punishing those who do evil and rewarding those who do good. Lord, what we desire more than anything is that 
Lord, we would have just rulers, Lord, those who represent us, Lord, those who are setting the policies in our land, Lord, that they would do so with some level of righteousness, Lord, an understanding of good and evil, Lord, that they would punish those that do evil and that they would reward those who do good according to your word. Lord, we know that in our current state of affairs, Lord, this, is, this isn't the case. This isn't what's happening, Lord, currently in our own country. Lord, we see people who have risen up into positions, Lord, of the highest authority in this land, who are themselves very evil, wicked people, who do not care about justice. They don't care about righteousness. Lord, they don't care about the citizens. But rather, they are, are there to promote everything that is godless, everything that is detestable. Lord, they are trying to ruin and overthrow everything about our country and this society. And Lord, we know that if they could, they would quickly round us up and throw us into prison. Lord, that they hate what the Word of God says about sin, Lord, about judgment, and that they consider us to be hateful people who are using hate speech whenever we preach the Word of God. Lord, we pray that those who are like this, Lord, whatever their affiliation is, Lord, we ask that you would bring your judgment upon them. Lord, that you would remove them from their offices. Lord, that you would bring them down before our very eyes. Lord, that we might see it. Lord, that we might rejoice. Lord, that there might be shouts of joy among the righteous. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up in their place, Lord, a generation of those who fear you. Lord, we do want true Christians, true believers, Lord, serving in public office. Lord, we would... Lord, we would rejoice greatly if you would raise up a Josiah in our own day who would become the president of our country or who would sit on the Supreme Court or have some high post in the land. And so, Lord, we pray that you would raise up, Lord, those kinds of people. Lord, even from among us, Lord, would you raise this up. But, Lord, if not a Josiah, we pray at least, Lord, that you would give to us someone who has some understanding of justice and righteousness, Lord, civilly, Lord, that will promote laws and policies that are beneficial to the social order, Lord, that are beneficial to families, to those who want to live quiet and peacefully and obey the laws of the land. So, Lord, we pray that you would do this, Lord, for our good, for the sake of our children. Lord, we know that when Abraham pled with you for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, that, Lord, you were willing to spare those cities if there were even a few righteous found there. Well, Lord, will you spare our country, Lord, for our sakes, and Lord, for the sake of our children. And Lord, will you allow us to live quiet, peaceful, godly, dignified lives. Lord, this is what we want. And so we pray that you would give to us, Lord, those authorities that will make this possible, Lord, for our own benefit. So Lord, help us to, Lord, to not be foolish, Lord, to not be those who, who don't care about what's going on in the world, Lord, who put our head in the sand, but Lord, also help us to not put our hope in this present world or who is sitting in the Oval Office, but that our hope would always be fixed in heaven where Christ is, <clears throat> knowing, Lord, that one day he will come again and he will take us, Lord, to be his own people. Lord, be with us as we go from here today. Give us safety as we travel home. 
And Lord, be with us uh, throughout this week. Help us to do your will. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.